0: We're going to do chapter 2 tonight. We're going to actually finish chapter 2 of 2 Peter in the Letters That Burn series. And uh, we're going to be talking about faith's contentions. So you'll remember that last time in the first eight verses of 2 Peter chapter 2, we saw Peter uh, pointing out God's judgment of three different entities. The angels that sinned, the generation of Noah, and the twin cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, his message was and is that if God didn't spare them, neither will he spare any peoples or any generation that continues in sin without repentance. As it, those judgments on those entities were God's warning shots fired in history. Like you can cross a line, you can go too far, you can go so long without repenting and so deep in your sin that God finally says, that's it, and I'm going to judge. So that's what happened. Now, next, in light of Lot's deliverance from Sodom, you remember God delivered Lot and his family, even though his wife was turned to a pillar of salt, uh, God would not send the fire on uh, Lot and his family until they were out. He spared Sodom long enough to get Lot out of there. There's a lesson for us. Uh, We have not been appointed to wrath, but to experience and obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So he's going to deliver us before the wrath of the great tribulation falls on the world. Now, in light of Lot's deliverance from Sodom, Peter encourages the saints in verse 9, 2 Peter 2, verse 9, then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations. So as God delivered Lot uh, out of temptation, out of Sodom, out of judgment, He can and also will deliver you. And God also knows how to deal with unrepentant wicked men. Verse 9, the second half. And to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. So that's kind of a little bit of a spooky thought that God is actually reserving the wicked, those who are not going to repent. He knows they're not going to repent. He's reserving them for the day of judgment. Now, what is the Day of Judgment? Well, it's talking about the Great White Throne Judgment revealed in Revelations 20, 11 to 15, if you want to read about it. I think this is one of the most uh, sobering portions of Scripture in the entire Word of God because the Great White Throne Judgment is when all of mankind throughout all of history that died in their sins is going to be resurrected to, to face Christ actually on the great white throne and be judged for their sin. Uh, so it might seem as if the wicked are getting away with their sin. It may seem like judgment is tarrying and it sure seems that way to me sometimes. Uh, Peter says they are reserved. Reserved. They got a reservation. They got a reservation seat for the coming judgment. It'll come as surely as the sun is going to rise tomorrow. There is a awesome Judgment coming on the world. Now, Peter next gives some details as to the extent of the lawlessness of the people Peter is addressing. Uh, He says in verse 10, especially those who walk according to the flesh, in the lust of uncleanness, and they despise authority. They are presumptuous, self willed. They're not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. Now, the wicked that are in Peter's crosshairs here, have lived and were living unbridled, filthy, immoral lives. And on top of all of that, they despise authority. They they despise authority. The, all the authority of God, any authority, directly God himself or delegated, they despise it. And um, the word despise here means to think lightly of something. They've got no respect for authority. Wherever they encounter it, they don't respect it. And, you know, I, I can't help but always think as we read these things about our current culture, where are we now? It seems to me this describes where America is. You look at America, so much of America now despises authority. They, they, they take it lightly. They don't take it seriously. They literally hate authority. They've got no respect for God's authority wherever they encounter it. They don't respect it. So they even go so far as to speak evil of dignitaries. That's heavy. A dignitary denotes the magnificence, the excellence, and the glory of those to whom praise and honor are due. So a dignitary can be the mighty angels of God. Can literally be Christ Himself, can be God Himself. And these people, these wicked people Peter is talking about, they they speak evil of dignitaries that could speak a word and they would be vaporized and yet they speak evil of them this includes not only earthly people like i just said holding high positions of authority you know authority figures governmental figures uh uh, police officers um anybody carrying god's authority in any way parental authority this attitude towards authority this rebellion is a real mark of departure from God. So the wicked show no respect for God-given authority. They rail against dignitaries, heavenly and earthly. And again, our nation is infected and infested with this attitude against authority. And it's a key indicator of America's drift away from God. Because, you know, when America was not so far from God, you heard a lot of yes, sir, no, sir yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, you know, um, ways of addressing the older, the elder, uh, and those with authority with respect. But now no more. We see students not only not respecting their teachers, but attacking them, hurting them, assaulting them, cursing them. This is a sign of departure from God. So, Uh, our nation is in trouble. I mean, amen? Our nation is in some real trouble. Peter points out that even angels recognize the principle of honoring dignitaries. In verse 11, he says, whereas angels who are greater in power and might do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. And a stunning example is found in Jude 9. Uh, Now, this is a mystery But apparently when Moses died, there was a battle for his body. I don't know what this means. We're about to read it. It's in Jude verse 9. But there was a battle over the body of Moses between Michael the archangel and Satan. And it says, yet Michael, one of the mightiest of the angels, when he was arguing with Satan about Moses' body, did not dare to accuse even Satan. You catch that? He didn't dare to accuse even the fallen devil or jeer at him. But he simply said, the Lord rebuke you. Now that's Michael, the great archangel, and the way he handled Lucifer, now the devil, in his fallen state. But he still would not speak in a in a disparaging way. But he simply said, the Lord rebuke you. So wow, if that's the way he chose to address fallen satan then the lesson is we should speak not evil of dignitaries wicked people have no such wisdom they don't have this wisdom the further you get from god uh, the worse your attitude grows towards god's authority now verse 12 but these like natural brute beasts made to be caught and destroyed Speak evil of the things they don't understand, and they will utterly perish in their own corruption. Now, again, these are the wicked that are headed for judgment. And I I believe he's really uh, uh, zeroing in on last day's wicked people, because they are particularly spoken of many times in the New Testament, what people will look like, what their attitudes will be, what their character will be in the last days. So, and they are apostates. They have have forsaken God, forsaken Christ, forsaken the truth, and gone their own way. And they're compared to natural brute beasts. This means they're driven solely by natural instinct. They're like animals. Animals are instinctual. They don't conceptualize things and make decisions based on wisdom or not. They're simply instinctive. And he says, these people, by the time... They face judgment. They have gone so far away from God, so far down in their character, they're like a brute beast. They're just like a brute beast, like an animal. They're without reason. They don't have rational thought. They're no longer, uh, they're more animal-like than human. Having traded divine revelation for human reasoning, these apostates end up abandoning common sense and logic for sheer nonsense. No more rational thought. And I would encourage you, read Romans 1. When we talk about these things, start around verse 18 and read Romans 1, the rest of Romans 1, and you will see what we're talking about. Because God turns the human race or turns a a certain civilization over, gives them up three different times in Romans 1. And the last time, is to a reprobate mind. And what's a reprobate mind? It is a mind with no more reason. No more rational thought. You can't tell right from wrong, good from bad, light from dark, righteous from unrighteous anymore. Your mind is no good anymore. That's the reprobate mind. And that's what has happened to these people that are headed for judgment. They speak evil of dignitaries, very angels of God, and even God himself. They're ignorant of the fact that the unseen world exists, and they mock people who believe that it does exist. And they also mock the idea of Satan, demons, the existence of evil, all of which are, hold our world and them in bitter bondage. They don't believe in the, the devil, the very devil that's holding them in chains of darkness. They don't believe in him. And as predicted, we now live, think about it, it's amazing. We now live in a last day's world of foolish mockers that rail against the authority of God, God's Son, Jesus Christ, and those who love Him. Their day is coming, is Simon Peter's message. He tells us they will utterly perish in their own corruption. They'll die in their sin. Death is the great equalizer and humbler of all men, and these mockers... Will face death and they will die in their sins. And then they'll face the God that they mocked. And Peter goes on to describe further the lifestyle that accompanies this apostasy. Now, again, he's talking about people who have totally forsaken the, the faith. They've walked away from Christ, walked away from God, deny God, deny Christ, deny the cross, the blood, the Word of God, everything. They are totally apostate. They have renounced the things of God. And here's what it says in verse 13 about the, their resultant character. They will receive the wages of unrighteousness as those who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime. They are spots, they are blemishes, carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you. Man, Peter is just getting down and dirty here. He's getting real. He is describing these people, and he's not pulling any punches. He's saying for the apostate, life is a great big party. They party hardy all the time. They live for pleasure, live for hedonism, live to satisfy the flesh. They have no concern about the normal constraints of time and duty. They carouse, they party, even in the daytime. Furthermore, there are spots and blemishes, and and." Where are they spots and blemishes? Peter says, in your feasts. In your love feasts. They're coming to your love feasts. Your church meals. They're eating the food prepared for the saints. They're coming to your gatherings. Your get-togethers. You know, your the time everybody brings something. Your potlucks. They're coming. And Most Bible scholars believe that the feasts Peter here is referring to were the Christians' love feasts. They they got together all the time, they gathered for fellowship, and they would eat together and talk about the things of God. And that's where these apostates were starting to show up as spots and blemishes. They didn't care anything, uh, anything for the Christians in their hearts. They ate with them all the while inwardly mocking them. Peter calls them spots from a word, meaning a stain. And blemishes points to the shame, the moral disgrace, the licentiousness of the false teachers. So again, he's really getting real here. Getting down and describing what these false teachers and these apostates are doing. Their brazenness, their their total absence of any fear of God. The word carousing, carousing in their own deceptions, means they're living in luxury. These false teachers were doing very well financially, and Peter wants us to know they were getting their money from false teaching, from teaching their apostasy, teaching things not in keeping with Christian orthodoxy. And they were getting rich. And he wants us to know this will not change through time. There's always going to be the apostates. There's always going to be the false teachers. And they're always going to be out there teaching what they teach, going for your wallet, going for your money. And Peter says, in reality, they're all enslaved to sin. Verse 14, having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin. They can't stop sinning. And they entice in their sin. They entice, they target unstable souls. They have a heart trained in covetous practices and they are accursed children. Not only only are they slaves to the flesh, but they happily abandon themselves to the lust of the flesh. And at the same time, they're always looking to entice unstable souls, people that have not gotten well-grounded and well-rooted in the Christian faith. That's who they target, to deceive and to milk them of their money. The word entice has the idea of of catching something by means of bait. They use the bait of smooth words, false promises to allure others into sin. Now, you think about false teachers out there in our day, all over social media, TV, radio, books, magazines, you name it, they're everywhere. Think about them. They are, they're smooth talkers. Uh, They do make false promises all the time. They'll look in the camera and promise you, you send your $20 in, God will give you 200 by the end of the month. Now, I'm just being real with you. This, we see this all the time, this kind of promise, and Peter is telling us they have a heart train in covetous practices. They know how to practice covetousness. They know how to throw the bait and catch you with false promises in order to get your money. That's how they do it. Send in your 20, God will give you 200. Send in your 100, God's going to give you 500 by, you know, this time next year or this time next month or, well, it's February 21st. Send in your $21 and God's going to give you 21 blessings. I mean, they give you all kinds of of scammy, kind of, you know, fake promises. And this is exactly, there's nothing new under the sun. Peter says, this is what. They did back in his day. This very kind of thing, covetous practices. Unstable souls are their target. People who don't know any better, who don't know their Bible, they fall prey to them. And notice what they're most skilled at, they have a heart trained in covetous practices. They know how to empty your wallet based on false promises. And they do it very well until you get to know your Bible enough to see what they're doing, and you don't fall for it. Now, I believe in giving. You know I believe in giving. I give, and and I give all the time. I give uh, regularly, but I give very carefully. I'm very careful of what I give to. Is it going to spread the gospel? Or is it going to make some preacher even richer and enlarge the square footage of his mansion? I'm not going to give to that, but I am going to give to the gospel going forth, I'm going to give to people being saved. I'm going to give to to genuine missions work, feeding children. I'm going to give to that kind of thing. But you've got to be very careful these days because these false teachers are out there and they are good at what they do. They are cursed children, Peter says. And Jesus said once until he returns, he said this. He said, until I return, the tares, the false Christians, are going to grow up right alongside the wheat, the real Christians. So we've got to keep that in mind. These apostates often exist right alongside true believers. They look like the real thing, sound like the real thing, but they're they're not. Now next, Peter compares them to a famous Old Testament sellout. He's really going to drive home his point now. In verse 15, he's going to talk about a guy named Balaam. He says, They have forsaken the right way and gone astray, and following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. He loved the money his unrighteous ways brought to him. Now, Balaam was a real mix of a character. He had some knowledge of the true God, but he was also known as a soothsayer. That means a person who predicts the future by magic, uh, also known as a fortune teller or a diviner. Now, you know the story, Balak, the king of Moab, wanted Balaam to curse God's people as they traveled through his land. Israel had grown so large, millions of them, that foreign kings were horrified, terrified of them taking over their kingdom. So Balak hired Balaam to curse the children of Israel as they went through the land of Moab. Now, Balaam at first only spoke Prophetic words over Israel. He couldn't speak evil when he, when he, and and when Balaam or or Balak realized he was about to lose the large financial blessing, the king of Moab had promised. Balaam sold out. When Balaam started to realize, hey, I keep prophesying good over Israel, I keep speaking good things over them, I'm not going to get anything from Balak. He's not going to pay me anything because he paid me to curse them, not bless them. So he turned and he did something very evil. And this is what we call the way of Balaam. He told the king, look, you can't conquer God's people with a curse, but you can ruin them with corruption. And he then advised the king to send the Moabite women. Think about this. This was so sinister. Send the Moabite women among the men of Israel to seduce them sexually and lure them into idolatry. Then Balaam said, God himself will judge them. Wow, this guy was wicked. God himself will judge them because of what you have made, because of the stumbling blocks you put in front of them. This is called the doctrine of Balaam. You, you read about it in Revelations 2.14. It worked. And God's people fell. And God did judge them. And later Balaam was killed for what he had done. And this, says Peter, is what the apostates are all about. Like Balaam, watch this now, the money is more important than God. The money is more important than integrity. The money is more important than a true, authentic Christian life. Wow. Now Peter points out how bound Balaam really was. Balaam was so bound when a donkey began to speak and warn him he started beating the donkey instead of turning from his sin that's how deceived he really was but same way no rebuke from god can stop the apostates from their materialistic drive money is their god when you listen to these false teachers Every other minute, money this, money that, money the other. It's all about money, how to make money, how God wants to give you all kinds of money, how God wants you rich, how God wants you to have this, that, and the other. It's all materialism, and it is something that God's favor is certainly not on. Now, next, Peter uses powerful metaphors to describe the false teachers. He, he's not going to leave them alone. He's not going to let up until we really understand uh, these false teachers are bad news. They were then and they are now. He says in verse 17, These are wells without water, clouds carried by a tempest, for whom is reserved reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Like dark clouds that never bring rain, these false teachers may promise many refreshing things to those who listen to them, but like a dark cloud that never gives rain, they never deliver the refreshing that they promise. Never. And like an empty well, you go down into it to get water, and your bucket comes up empty. They look like they can give you water. They promise to give you water, but it's an empty well. They are illusions. They preach illusory things. They make promises they can never fulfill. They make promises that will never be honored by God. They make promises God didn't make. So you never get what they tell you you're going to get. Peter describes their eternal fate as a mist of darkness, eternal, endless darkness. And then he describes the empty words of these false teachers. Verse 18, you get the idea that he wants us to understand how dangerous these false teachers are? No doubt about it, because he is not going to let up until we walk away going, got it, Peter. These guys and gals are bad news these apostate, these that teach unorthodox messages that are not from the Bible, all right? When they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure you through the lust of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. So again, what's their target? Those that have heard the gospel and they have escaped They've gotten saved, but that's their target before you get roots, before you get grounded. Great swelling words describes what you would call empty talk, high-sounding nonsense. These false teachers are, as one commentator put it, intoxicated by the exuberance of their own verbosity. I, I so like that. I had to, I had to copy it. I'm going to say it again. They're they're intoxicated by the exuberance of their own verbosity. In other words, they love hearing themselves talk. They love to hear themselves speak, even though what they say is devoid of truth. They just like hearing themselves talk. They're enamored with themselves, not Christ. They're not only empty words, but they're alluring words. They're designed to appeal to the carnal appetites of their hearers, i.e., money, stuff, Riches, materialism, wealth, they hammer on those things. But when you look at your New Testament, you don't see Paul, Peter, James, John, or Jude ever hammering on those things. They're always talking about spiritual riches. They're always talking about laying up treasures for yourself in heaven, like Jesus did. They never harp on, preach on, uh... Teach on how we can get richer with material things. That's ne- that was never their message. So they allure. Their words are empty and they're alluring. They, they appeal to the flesh. And they promise liberty. Verse 19, while they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by, by him also he's brought into bondage. Whatever overcomes you, that's what you're in bondage to. That's what you serve. So, on the good side, if Christ overcomes you, that's, that's who you're going to serve. You're going you're to serve whatever dominates your life. And here, these false teachers have been overcome by corruption, they are slaves of it. They're promising their listeners liberty, but they can't give what they don't have because they don't have liberty. They're a slave to corruption. This is the message of most cults. Most cults promise liberty. But the teachers themselves are all bound up. You can't give what you don't have. These false teachers can't deliver liberty when they themselves are the slaves of corruption. And that's what they are. So Peter now warns new Christians of the consequences of listening to them. Verse 20, For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world, now this is you, this is me, if after we've escaped The pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we again become entangled in what they are offering. Our latter end is worse for us than the beginning. We're going to end up in more bondage than we were in before we got saved. These are strong words. And this is why every single letter in the New Testament but one, only one, book of Philemon, Every other letter in the New Testament, in one place or another, warns against false teachers. Because when you fall into the net of a false doctrine, a false message, a false theology, a false Christ, a false salvation, it can ruin your whole life. So if you've tasted Jesus and then become ensnared in false teaching, it's not going to go well. It's not going to be good. It's not going to be good for you. So this is why here at Turning Point we harp and harp and harp on knowing the Word of God better than you know any other book in the world. Know your Bible. Now Peter closes his warning with a somber word to these apostates, who had heard of the way of righteousness, but they rejected it. Verse 21 and 22: For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. Better that they had never heard the gospel than that they heard it and rejected it and went into apostasy, and not only apostasy, but took as many people with them into their own corruption and deception as they could. Because it happens to them according to the true proverb. A dog returns to his own vomit, and a sow having washed, to are wallowing in the mire... So in other words, let me just paraphrase this, they are foul within like a dog returning to its vomit, and they are filthy without, like a pig rolling around in the mud. That's the future for any apostate and any that follow their teaching. So why is it important for us to see these things? Why are we teaching this? Why do we go through these things? Uh, Why did Peter spend so much time writing about it and the other apostles? He loved us enough to tell us the truth about the dangers of false teaching and teachers and the ruin their message will bring. It matters who you allow to speak into your life. Amen. So, Lord, thank you for grounding us in the word. Thank you for helping us, Lord, to stay true to the scriptures, to avoid false teachings and false teachers and to keep ourselves pure and rooted and grounded in the Word of God and in the Lord Jesus. In his mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Ronnie, close us out with a song. Let's worship. Everybody, let's lift our hands. Amen.
1: Let's just stand again and worship the Lord. Father, we bless you tonight because we recognize that you're worthy of it all tonight. Father, take us from this place, but never your presence. In the matchless name of Jesus tonight, we say, Amen.